0: Pop quiz, what is ESG investing? Timely question, being it was Earth Day yesterday. CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger is on the radio morning show with us every week. And once in a while, I like to share the conversation here with you. Today, we talk about ESG investing. And it's okay if you don't know what that is, because a lot of people don't know what that is, but it's good for the environment. We'll talk about that. Plus, bank versus credit union. What is the difference and why many believe that credit unions are better? And the question of all questions that a lot of parents ask themselves, when can you financially cut off the kids? Our expert firmly believes that age is five. She will explain today. Thank you so much for being here, for listening to the Seven Figures podcast, Smart Money Strategies for Women. The goal is to give you at least a good understanding of what your options are and to take the awkwardness out of the money conversation. Okay, before we learn what ESG investing is, let's start the show with no dumb questions. Well, welcome to No Dumb Questions. We have Lori Baker, the president and CEO of Summit federal credit
1: union. How are you? Great. How are you, Sandy? It's good to meet you.
0: Oh, you too. All right. So this part of the show is where we kind of address those questions that a lot of people are nervous to ask about, Mm -hmm. or they just don't even think to ask about them. Um, Bank versus credit union. I think that's a big misconception or people wonder, like, what is the difference?
1: Is there? Oh, there are a lot of differences between banks and credit unions. And I know that, you know, I've been working in the credit union industry for 25 years plus, but not everybody has. So they they really don't realize what the differences are, but they are significant. Um, credit unions are not-for-profit financial cooperatives, and each member is an owner of the credit union. So when you open an account at the credit union, you are actually an owner. Um, We do not have shareholders as banks do, we actually really are run by our members, so it's very member owned, and we do this, you know, everything we do is with our members benefit in mind, so when we're profitable, we do make profit, even though we're a not-for-profit organization, we try to take those funds and return them back to the members in the forms of better rates, better mortgage rates, better loan rates, uh, more services that can benefit the members that we have. Um, but one of the most important differences between banks and credit unions is that our, our credit union is run by a volunteer board of directors. So we have at the summit, for example, we have 11 board members and each of those board members have to be a member of the credit union. So we have members overseeing um, the members organization will say uh, they do not get paid for their services. They're strictly volunteers and they're extremely dedicated. And what they're charged to do is just look out for the membership as a whole and guide us um, to ensure we're doing the right thing. Is there any
0: limitations? I mean, I'm cautious to ask you this question (laughs) but because it sounds like, well, why wouldn't I participate and, and belong to a credit union?
1: Well, you have to be able to qualify for membership. And I know that sounds like um, very few people may be eligible, but that's not the case. There's definitely a credit union for every individual and probably several. For example, if you wanted to be a member of the summit, you could just call us and we would um, determine if you're eligible for membership, but the vast majority of the time you will be eligible. So for example, you could work for one of our member companies. You may have a relative that's a member of the credit union. You may live in the city of Rochester and you're automatically um, eligible to be a member. You may live work worship in one of our underserved areas. So it's really fairly broad, very likely that you would be eligible.
0: Okay, so, but the biggest difference is probably the rates that you get and you are at the forefront of all the decisions that are being made as a member because you are quote unquote part owner.
1: You are, and, and really, You know, I would say the biggest difference is maybe the philosophy. So, we're really mission based. We're a mission based organization, and our goal is to help people. And something that may be foreign to people that are not familiar with credit unions is obviously, credit, there are a lot of credit unions. They compete with each other because we, we, you know, we're located in the same areas, but we're very cooperative. So I can call any credit union CEO in the area. We share information, we attend meetings. It's really, um, we're really here for the greater good. Oh,
0: we're, sounds so we're like a nice. family, a
1: family of credit unions.
0: Oh, it sounds almost too good to be true. <laughs>
1: but it's I absolutely it. true. If I need help with a policy or some advice I can call any one of the CEOs um, in the state anywhere in the country, and they would take my call and give me information.
0: So if I'm looking, if I'm shopping around for a rate, which not enough people do, by the way, you should shop around for rates, you um, from one credit union to another, is there a big difference? Or if I'm in saying that you guys work together as a family, is there an opportunity where I am a member at Summit, but yet another credit union may offer a better rate and I could still get that rate or?
1: You can be a member, first of all, you could be a member of multiple credit unions if you choose to be, and yes, the rates will not be identical okay. by any means. We all set our own rates and we we provide and create our own products and services. But in general, the rates are typically better than other types of financial institutions.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time.
1: You're welcome.
0: What is ESG investing? Jill Schlesinger from CBS News will explain next. 98.9 The Buzz, Spisano and Sandy, where do Americans get their money advice from top podcasts and radio shows? From Jill Schlesinger from CBS News, and she's on with us this morning again, Jill. Good morning, and congratulations for the accolades on uh, GoBankingRates.com. That was pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I was kind of psyched, I have to say. It was like a nice early morning little... um mention, and I was happy to be on that list with lots of people, some of whom I really love, some of whom I don't.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I don't say who's who. Oh,
2: come on! You know the way I am is that I say things like, oh, I'm so happy to be on those list. I'm like, ew, look who's also on that list. I'm a bound. So, so you, know, and, become like and, that, you know, I don't want to be a member of that club, but I am
0: happy. I'm very happy. Yeah. This it... isn't the first list that you've been on either. You are so amazing with everything you do. So follow oh. Jill on Money. Jillonmoney.com.
2: I do love being able to talk to people about what's going on in their mm. financial lives. Yes. I find that to be so interesting, and I also find it to be really helpful in doing other things that I do because, you know, obviously it's really interesting to like have some producer. I say, what do you think of this story? And then I can kind of say, well, you know what? No one's really actually cares about that. Mm -hmm. I know it's important to you, but like, in fact, when I hear from these people, this Mm -hmm. is what they care about. Mm -hmm. So it's really helpful in my day job to learn about, you know, what are the things that people are asking and what do they care about?
0: And I think sometimes it's, It's not even in our world, or we don't have as good of an understanding about certain areas of finance where you don't even know to ask the questions. Like your most recent blog was perfect, and it falls perfect timing too for um, Earth Day Mm -hmm. ESG investing, environmental, social, and governance. Investing, And that would be like, if you said that to somebody, the common person will probably be like, what the hell is that? Yeah, what is that? I'm what are you talking about? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you for uh, putting pointing that. It is true. Well, look, um, I think that the interesting thing here is that um, this is a, a a long-term trend, meaning that probably back to the 80s, you know, when I was in college – it first started, it was kind of called socially responsible investing. And so the the reason it gained some currency is that a lot of kids all over college campuses were protesting, including at my alma mater. Mm-hmm. And they said, we don't want our endowment dollars. We don't want our university to be investing in companies that do business in South Africa, which at the time was a, a segregationist regime of apartheid, right? And I think that in the very beginning, like a lot of the the institutions were like, "Oh, you kids, shut up, you're crazy." And then, but it like it gained a lot of speed, and it actually really did force the issue. And all of these universities, all of these big companies, all these big pension funds ultimately did divest. Wow. And so that the success of that movement created socially responsible investing. And that really was uh, an effort to help an investor understand, is the company that I'm investing in adhering to some guidelines about, that, are, that are almost uh, consistent with my value system? Mm-hmm. And then it expanded to ESG, meaning are those guidelines specific to my value system about environmental issues? about social issues and about governance issues and governance basically means are they running their company in a way that's consistent with me in other words I okay, could have a great beautiful environmentally sensitive company but you find out that there are no women no people of color um, you know, there's they're awful employers. They're bullies. Yeah, you know, they're basically kind of Andrew great. Cuomo. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's a bad governance story that's being told
1: right now. <laughs> you
2: know, like oh, this guy's a bully. I don't want to invest in it. you know. So and so that's really become very. It, it, it's funny. It's like sort of under the radar in some ways, but it's huge. Really? One out of three dollars that's invested that's under professional management in the United States is actually. Um, sustainable investing money. So it means that there's $17 trillion, $1 in $3 of total assets under professional management in the U.S. is actually invested for sustainability. And it's a 42% increase from where we were just a few years ago. So wow. this is an explosive part of the investing world. So
0: with with the new administration in and their eye on infrastructure and going green and, and GM building a two trillion dollar plant to make car batteries and things like that that's the kind of investments that are it's it's going to kick it keep these investments going up
2: I think so I mean look I think that there's also a, a, a slight problem when you think about it because you know you you know when you're you're um, get you get in you look in your feed and then mm-hmm. there's you do a search on let's say like crude oil prices mm-hmm. you just do a search and then all of a sudden you get fed these ads that are like BP is going green and you're like really? British Petroleum, <laughs> Petroleum being the main part of their name, Yeah, right. Uh, they're going green. So it's, it's actually kind of interesting because you can have a company like a big three automaker that is basically contributing to terrible parts of the environment. Mm-hmm. But then they're but they're efforting to get better. Mm-hmm. So how do you score that? And that's one of the criticisms of these funds, that there mm. are real critics who say, hey, look, you know what? We can't even agree on the right measures. Um, And, you know, how do you score a a company that is trying to do better but still contributing to, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, bad parts of climate change? You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. there's – it's not without controversy. Um, There's one guy who's like this legendary um, investor who basically is like this is like a marketing ploy. It's not actually an investing Mm -hmm. machine. But, you know, I do think it's important to note that – Younger investors are very, very focused on this. Um, oh, yeah. When you look at all the surveys, anyone under the age of 35 is like, I, this is important to me. I, want, I actually want this. And a lot of the apps, the big trading apps, allow you to screen out companies or screen for companies that score high on these ESG um, metrics. Again, it's not perfect. But it is interesting to me, and and I think it's been um, really interesting over the last five years or so just to see the explosion of growth in these funds.
0: So do you like, um, do you think it's, I mean, it's hard to argue that it's not a good idea, but do you think it is more marketing, or do you think, no, this is this is good? Well, I think
2: that it's good, but I think it's hard. I really mm. do. And, and I think, so um, I think the best example I can give is that you know, a company can be really great on a social issue. It might appear like, hey, that's great. But mm-hmm. then weeks or months later, you realize they spoke out about one thing, but they didn't do another. Can I give you my favorite example of this? Oh, yeah. Only because he always holds himself up to be like the the best CEO in the universe. He's such a <laughs> head case. What? So Jamie Dimon of JPMorgan Chase, he's the CEO. Okay. After the insurrection he goes out and says this is horrible we're going to pause giving money to all these people who voted to stop the democratic process mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and that seems like a great idea many companies did that and that was a um, you know it was a, it was a way to vote with your dollars But then you you roll the calendar forward a few months later, and there's this huge CEO letter, which I don't know if you guys saw, which was basically a bunch of people who signed on and said, we think these state efforts to stymie the democratic process are really bad. And we, the undersigned CEOs, really want to make sure that states allow the democratic process to proceed. This is the voting
0: rights thing, right? Right. Right. Mm
2: -hmm. Exactly. And a bunch of Wall Street firms signed it. Guess who didn't sign it? Jamie Dimon. Huh. Now, I've t- now how do I score that on my governance issue? Like, he was good in one thing, but not the other. He's like, oh, I, I, I um, did lending in Detroit for $100 million, but I um, have a terrible record in the past about loans to people of color. You know, like, So it's very hard
1: mm, to distill yeah.
2: all of this, and, and that's my big issue with it is not that I think it's bad. I think it's good. I just think it's really hard. To be consistent with it, um, or is so it really hard? Or
0: is it really hard to find the leader of a company who is all around a good, <laughs> good
2: person? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the struggle. I okay. know it is. It is. Yeah. It, is it's yeah. Tough. Yeah. it is tough. But look, I think it's it's better than the alternative. It's certainly fine if you're, especially if you care about certain issues. You know, you when I was an in, uh, an investment advisor a million years ago, I would say people would say to me, "I don't want to invest in a tobacco company." My mother died of cancer, and that yeah. just, it wrangles it wrangles me. It's, it's not yeah. good. So I think that there are people who want to be able to screen certain companies out. I think more and more technology is going to help us with these issues. I really do.
0: Okay, you are the best. Thanks, Jill. Take care. If you have kids, this is a very intriguing question. When to financially cut off the kids? Grab a chair. We take a seat at the kids' table next. Welcome to the kids' table. Money Savvy Generation founder Susan Beecham is here with us. Oh, this is a good one, Susan. We are all hoping that you say what we want you to say. So when can we cut off our kids? Done. Let's ask the kids first what they think when that cutoff should be and then uh, we'll ask you. At what age should parents cut off their kids, stop paying for the extra things that they want?
1: I would say 13, you're becoming a teenager, probably in middle school, you're getting older. That's a good time. It's not too young, not too old to start learning how to save and spend money. I would say maybe... Like 10 or
0: 11 or 12. I'm going to give you an item. You tell me at what age parents should stop paying for it. Okay, ready? Birthday gifts for friends. 10.
1: 16. 12. Clothes. 11. Never. Never. Phone bill. Um, 18. Graduate college. Um, 20.
0: All right, what do you think?
1: I
3: love it. I mean, I love their answers. It's like who <laughs> in their right mind is going to tell their parents, no, I've had enough. Cut me <laughs> off, right. Uh, how about if I give you an age when you should cut your kids off? I bet you can't guess what that age would be, Sandy.
0: Oh, gosh. Well, I have a 16 and an 11 year old. So I'm hoping somewhere in between there. How about five? No, Susan, five.
3: Okay. Bear with me, a couple years ago, Cambridge University did a study and they concluded that money habits are set by age seven. You heard me right, age seven. So you don't cut them off. I mean, you don't just give them bread and water at age five. But what I mean by cutting them off is by starting to give them tools in their toolbox in an age-appropriate way at an age-appropriate time. There are some people who have five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, kids who are starting kindergarten who you can work with. If a child can count money, you can work with them Mm -hmm. and you can start to give them work to earn money. Those are the chores that a lot of people love to assign value to. The caution is don't give them a chore that should be part of maintaining the family balance. Give them something outside the family responsibilities. You can give them the responsibility to earn money, to pay for their clothes or their hobbies. That can be allowance. Um, When they're old enough, you can uh, talk to them about the importance of getting a job. I love the Elon Musk story. He said, to make an embarrassing admission, I like video games that's what got me into software engineering when I was a kid. I wanted to make money so I could buy a better computer to play better video games. A lot of parents would say, well, I don't want to cut my kid off. They're showing me that they're really interested in video games. They could be the next Elon Musk. I'm going to support that. I'm going to pay for all that. But Elon Musk decided this was important to him and so he had the desire to make money to support that. You don't want to take away their desire. You don't want to you don't want to take away the flame that erupts in them when they finally see something they really want or need. So, I'm not saying you cut them off at age 5. I'm saying you cut them in to the knowledge of what it takes to get what they want or need in their life at a much earlier age. And now what does that do? That sets expectations. So if at age five, six, seven, eight, whatever, you are explaining to them, this is how you can handle something you want or something you need. This is how we'll we'll support you to this dollar amount. But if you run out of money, I will not bail you out. I will not bail you out. Don't ever feel compelled to make your child's life easier when it comes to this, because adversity is a door that you pass through, beyond which lays a new way to perceive the world, said Charles Collier, the author of Wealth and Families, a blank notebook that awaits life's next chapter. So don't take away that wonderful feeling a kid gets when they push through adversity. I noticed a just a titch of fear in the oldest Gail's comment when she said never. And that little <laughs> that little bit of fear is because she cannot necessarily understand how she would take care
0: of those costs. Yeah. We've made it too easy on our kids. Well and you hear those stories of, you know, after college, there's so many parents to quote unquote, bail out their kids. And I think, hey, I'll raise my hand. I think I'll be there too. I can't see my kids struggle.
3: I know I've told the story on the podcast. I'll tell it quickly. Allison laid off, had to find an apartment, had to find a job, asked us to co-sign a lease. We said, no, you can come home and live with us, but we won't co-sign a lease. Because what if you get a job in another state and you're in this lease? I watched her figure it out it was important to her to stay in Chicago not to come and live with us so we didn't make it easy and she succeeded brilliantly she used every friend's couch she could find and literally lived like that for I think a little over two months landed a job and it's never happened to her again
0: oh my gosh how many prayers did you do at night Susan that must have been so hard
3: I hope she never listens to this but I I cried. I cried. Well, I think I would too. I was horrified. I was horrified. But I knew she was smart. I knew her friends were good. And I knew that if I stepped in and took care of it, she would take her foot off the accelerator just a little bit. And that would create tension between us. And our relationship is too important.
0: Well, to Okay, so see, I think a lot of parents have that little bit of fear. If I say no, that's going to create the tension. Am I going to push them away?
3: Uh, You might for a short period of time, but I guarantee you when they get on their own two feet and get over the hump and over the challenge, they will mature into the viewpoint that it really was a favor, That, that you believed in their ability so much that you didn't just step in and save them, Mm. that you believed in them and their abilities. Our kids define themselves sometimes through how we view them. And if you're always bailing them out, you're suggesting to them, well. Ooh, Susan, that hurts. Yeah, Yeah. you're kind of a loser. So let me write the check.
1: That is a great
0: point. And you did offer your house. You didn't totally say I'm gonna abandon you and not help you at all. I mean, you did offer her a solution whether she wanted to take you up on that. Okay, that is really good, Susan.
3: It worked, All right, praise God. It worked,
0: (laughs) thank God, yeah. All right, well, now it it makes for a great story. Thank you so much. How can we find you and follow you and seek out more of your advice? You may
3: follow me on my blog at susanbeecham.com, And I welcome you to come to the Money Savvy, S-A-V-V-Y.com website, where we have a number of wonderful tools that will help you have this first conversation about money as well as continue it.
0: right that wraps it up if there's ever a question you want us to answer and no dumb questions just let me know if there's a guest you want me to try to get on the show reach out anytime or if you just need help talking to the kids about money this podcast is for you we raise a glass now and say cheers to being financially confident women have a good week